You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. This is the business of cannabis. Welcome to the business of cannabis. This is the show where we take a deep dive into the most important business issues in the North American cannabis industry. I'm David Sky. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Cook. On today's show, where we kick things off with a conversation with Mike Connor of Easy Green Compliance, a data security software platform. And this is where you'll learn what HIPAA compliance means and why it's important. And then we change gears a bit, speak to Neil Klass and his Seven Point Interiors about how to best design a cannabis dispensary. We're going to be talking about counters and customer flow and branding and color palettes and basically everything in between. I'd categorize this show under the heading, uh, stuff you really need to know about cannabis dispensaries, but might not have considered. I'm Dave Sky here with Matt Cook, and this is the business of cannabis. So welcome back to the business of cannabis. Uh, Our next guest is Mike Connor who is the founder and president of Easy Green Compliance. Uh, Mike has been a busy little boy in the last decade or so. He starts a rock and roll bar, uh, then a video platform. He transitions to uh, BizDev Consulting with uh, the Chameleon Collective. Uh, but then he, he founds, uh, and this is why we're uh, excited to talk to him, Easy Green Compliance which is uh, the first cannabis-focused POS and data security software platform that is HIPAA compliant. Uh, so there's lots to talk about. Um, so Mike, welcome to the show. Dave, good morning. Thanks for having me. And, and uh, that's a, I appreciate you. Um, nobody ever starts out by talking about where I came from, which is pretty funny. But yeah, I did start out in uh, uh, operating rock and roll bars and it was a lot of fun. And a lot of those skills have transcended into the cannabis industry. So uh, a great reminder of where where my roots started. It's great to meet you. Uh, Well, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, So why don't we start a little bit there? Um, Because one of the most interesting things about the cannabis industry, it might be how people got into it. Mm -hmm. So um, tell us how that, tell us a bit about that journey and what led you to think yeah, easy green compliance. I, we need to focus on this POS data security. Um, I need to I need to develop that aspect of the business. How did how did that go from um, um, uh, rock and roll bars to that? Sure. So 
uh, rock and roll bars. I grew up in a family that operated restaurants and bars in Boston, came to South Florida, uh, and in 2004 uh, opened uh, Automatic Slims, which was a rock and roll bar, to 2009. And then in 09, I got into some technology startups where we would monetize social media traffic for influencers and was in tech from 09 to say 2015. In 2015, uh, I'm a traveling man and some folks in my network introduced me to the chief of the Southern Cherokee Nation and the Red Fire people in uh, Northern Atlanta. And they came to me looking to launch uh, a banking platform for the cannabis industry. And I had very minimal experience at that point or interest. And I knew that it was legal in Colorado and California and I had contacts, but I, you know, I'm like, I'm not really, not really sure. So I went through the process with them for about six months and we looked at some accounts that were processing legal cannabis business, but they didn't have a banking solution easily to, to you know, put that money in and to work into the system. So we tried to position their banking solution. It didn't work, but I got so much exposure. I realized there was a lot of synergy in the cannabis space from the hospitality industry. So I was, I was intrigued and interested. So then as I was looking at the space, I was noticing because of my, you know, newly in the past five years tech background, all of these data breaches that were occurring around patient and consumer data in the cannabis space with really just like a press release and zero repercussions. And so I went to a long-standing client of mine in Florida, Automated Healthcare Solutions, which is a phenomenal point of sale software system for the regular pharmaceutical industry. And I convinced them to partner with me and license a, a version of their software for the cannabis industry. And then when we got in, we had to rework it and deal with some of the challenges and also state regulations for cannabis. And then we went to uh, Gaynell Rogers, who's a cannabis mentor and friend of mine uh, who worked with uh, Harborside and did PR for Steve D'Angelo and some, some really seasoned folks in cannabis. And she introduced me to FinCanna Capital Corp, which is a public entity investing in cannabis in Vancouver. They invested in Easy Green. We rolled it out uh, into the market and, you know, we had ups and downs during COVID, but we're still here. And, and now uh, Fincana, I'm on their advisory board and we're looking at um, shifting their company into um, investing in vertically. Now they're vertically integrated. So we're looking at investments into dispensaries and retailers in California, which is great because I spent the last five or six years in the field with all these operators across the country looking at ways to mitigate some of the risks that they that their employees are using the system without violating patient or consumer rights in the in the cannabis space by protecting their license they're protecting the future of the value of that license which after things go federally legal they're going to be worth you know in my opinion a lot of money and we want to make sure that these early stage operators uh don't make any mistakes in trying to do the right thing and grow it out so at the end they'll have options i get that yeah. Well, let's let's start then with uh, the HIPAA side, the compliance side. Tell sure. us a bit about uh, and imagine I have barely used a computer before. So let's uh, which is maybe true. So don't get too technical. Nope. What is HIPAA? Uh, why is it relevant to um, like the dispensary owner? The, the I guess we'll start on the medicinal side. How does Easy Green solve that problem? Sure. And again, I appreciate, let's, so let's start with the basics. So HIPAA is a law that was enacted under the Clinton administration in 1996. It represents 
Health and Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which states that all medical patients in the United States have a right to privacy of their personal information, a right to privacy from certain private information from insurance companies, finding things out about you that could eliminate your eligibility for products, the inability for uh, employees to look up your personal information because they're curious about who you are, things of that nature. And so the, the conundrum that we sit in in the cannabis space is that is not a federally recognized industry, but because there are so many medical patients that use cannabis, we want to protect their information under the same strict guidelines of the federal mandates, even without federal oversight in the industry. So there are a number of states that have adopted or required HIPAA for their cannabis medical programs. And when I've gone and sat with some of the regulators and said, well, why did you, you know, why would you go through the, the requirements of a federal program when you're not federally recognized? And their answers were quite simple. They're dealing with opioid epidemics in their regions, and they want patients that are going to opioid doctors to quickly be able to get added from, recommended from their from their doctor over to a cannabis doctor to get them in and try cannabis as an alternative to opioids. So we're a big proponent of that. And we believe that all medical patients deserve the right to privacy. And so that's why we created this product that protects patient information when you're going into dispensary, whether it's medical or whether you're still coming in for recreational, there's an expectation that your products your background, your information are private between you and the dispensary. And that's that's why we built this product uh, because we see parallels in the pharmaceutical industry and cannabis. So Mike, so that explains kind of the medicinal side. What about the recreational side? How can, you know, uh, how, how can Easy Green solve uh, issues on the recreational side? Sure, so on the recreational side, we still believe that there are consumer rights similar to, um, uh, it's not available yet. It's not required yet in America, but there are there is consumer protection rights in in Europe, and so we're GDPR. We're GDPR certified as well. So, regardless of who you are, if you walk into a dispensary, and I'll give you an example. I early stages, I'd go to California as a recreational user from out of state, give them my IDs, make sure I'm of legal age to purchase. I sit in line in this nice cool couches. We look up, there's a 70 inch plasma screen with everybody's photo ID to see who's next in line. Total da data violation, total data, mm -hmm. data breach. And yep. I can see the person next to me. And then I go up to the, to the bud tender. Bud tender says, hey, Joe, good to see you. Do you want the same as last time? And they spin the tablet around to show the person who I'm standing right next to, who's supposed to be in front of me, their purchase mm -hmm. history. Huge, huge violation. Right. These are just basic steps that we, these are basic things that we can fix with the software to not allow these breaches to occur while maintaining HIPAA for medical, but also maintaining personal uh, privacy standards for recreational use. You know, one of the themes we have on this show is is can people like to say it's it's the Wild West. People like to say it in cannabis. It's a new industry and it's developing. So what I'm hearing is different states have different rules regarding data that even though HIPAA exists, it's not really applicable at the state level, but some you're saying some states have adopted it. it, it, it in what it, sense have they adopted it? As in they're enforcing it, they're fining people, they have people on the streets, uh, like I, I'm gonna go to a dispense, people are going to dispensaries and said, hey, you're, you're showing, how does that, how's that working? Sure, so 
they in in a, in a state that has a medical medical cannabis program they require the, the Department of Health to oversee that cannabis program, kind of like an oversight committee. And so they require the database of medical patients be held and, and protected under HIPAA standards. So that's where they that's are true. adopting and actually putting in writing they want HIPAA. However, there is no team of data experts on these newly formed cannabis commissions in different states that are able to go out and look at data breaches and define data breaches. And with HIPAA, a data breach per patient profile is between five and $50,000, which you can see these are documented that there are plenty of HIPAA breaches in, in cannabis, and there are plenty of HIPAA breaches in the regular pharma industry. And the, the severity of the fine is if the, uh, the people housing the data were complicit or had knowledge of a data breach and chose not to report it. So we know that's coming. We just don't know when. So we built a platform that whenever that happens, you don't have to change anything. It's already ready for that. Or, and or if you're running, which majority of the clients I talk to have both medical and recreational in any state that allows that, you still need to protect patient information. And you, they still need to feel like they come in and it's a private transaction between yourself and the, the dispensary. But you do understand people do understand or they're learning that when you purchase in a recreational um, dispensary, there are daily purchase limits that vary from state to state. And so they are tracking uh, by your unique patient or consumer profile, the amount of milligrams of cannabis you've purchased that day. And there's a limit every 24 hours. So there are instances where they're supposed to tell you, we're sorry, sir or ma'am, but you've hit your daily limit. You can come back tomorrow and buy more. Right. Um, so by my, the way, quick, yeah, my one quick question. Yeah. You said fifty-five or fifty grand. Is that per like patient breach, or is that like between five thousand dollars and fifty thousand dollars per patient per patient wow. breach, dependent upon the severity of the of the breach, and if the people that were managing it, right. like the hospital or the dispensary, knew about it and tried to ignore it or hide it or put it under the table, that's the difference of how how hard they would come down. But but that's hmm. not. That's for a different part of the supply chain that hasn't been explored yet in the cannabis industry. They're mm -hmm. simply saying, if I'm a state and we vote with the state legislature to allow a medical cannabis program, we mandate that those cannabis carrying patients in our state are protected under HIPAA, that database, which then dispensaries have to log into that database through track and trace or point of sale technology to confirm that that medical patient hasn't purchased their, typically it's in medical, it's, it's 30 days, that they haven't gone over their 30 day purchase. And if so, then they're limited in what they can buy that day. You know, it's funny with so many people say, we want it federally low regulated. Like where's, you know, it's like a dream of the cannabis yeah. industry, but there's, 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 there's going to be duties and responsibilities that are, that are going to follow on that. And you care exactly. for what you wish for. Interesting. Also, so Matt, you, you had a question. No, I, I guess my question was really around what are like common breaches and how does, um, you know, easy green solve, you know, not necessarily common, but, you know, maybe give kind of a severe example and then maybe something that everyone should be aware of. Sure. So the most common data breach is you have an employee, they get poached by another dispensary in the same neighborhood or county. They they stay in after work, nobody's looking, they put in a flash drive, they download your database, they go down the street, start their new job, plug in that flash drive, and then they do a, a, an email campaign to bring those people. 
that's a data breach. Uh, you store medical patient data on a local drive in your store and your firewall isn't uh, up to date. Hackers come in because they target you because every state publishes the name of your business, the name of your holding company, and uh, you know where you're located. They figure out where your website is. They can hack. They sometimes hack in directly through a through an employee email. Sometimes through a digital menu that links to your database, and they grab all the patient information and then they sell it on the dark web because there's tremendous interest in cannabis consumers. What are they buying? Who are they? What, what demographics, what median income in the areas that they are because people want to advertise to them to try to influence their next purchase. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking, oh God. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just want to go in and buy, uh, right. buy my product. And, and, um, and I guess what I'm hearing, I never really thought about it, is this might be a, uh, a way for, for dispensaries to leverage their security and their systems I don't think anyone does that. I, I haven't seen it yet where a, ca a, a cannabis dispensary is saying, hey, you know, we're HIPAA compliant, we're, your data is safe. I mean, it's interesting. I, it, it would be a great benefit. Yeah, and I think, I, I think to Mike's point, it, it will come eventually. So I think Mike's ahead of, ahead of the curve here. So here's how I explain it. Every state is between step one and step 100 of complete cannabis uh you know industry onboarding and some states are at step 95 they're not even at 100 so we're still going to see this evolve but if you have 20 employees year one as a compliance team for the state regulatory body and then you have a legal team that are writing regulations. You have 20 people that are overseeing the implementation and checks and balances and audits of those regulations. Then you make $50 million in taxes. Year two, and I'm guessing it's not really 50 million, it's much lower. Then year two, you double your staff. You need to train those new staff, show them what's going on in the industry, give them data from last year so they can look at the predictability of certain infractions. And then slowly they will get to the point where they're comfortable managing the supply chain of the harvest, the extraction, the manufacturing, the distribution, and the retail, and then they will create a team at some point that already has the experience by tracking patient uh, data information in medical field and say, I want you to oversee the cannabis program, and then they will start putting out recommendations, and then they will start finding uh, people that aren't responsible or are using vendors that are susceptible to being hacked because patient information is very valuable and it's also it, it needs to be protected they are medical patients and that's that's the way you know that's my stance that's my opinion cool let me let me switch it up a little bit um because uh, i want to touch on your consulting practice and the community uh collective and what you guys are and, and your consulting practice in that area so tell us a bit about that and so we can delve in on some of those compliance issues as well sure so give us, give us an overview on that Yep. So High Level Chameleon Collective is a group of um, amazing people and entrepreneurs that basically walked away from corporate America with all the skills, but didn't like the politics and came up with a decentralized agency where you're incentivized to hunt what you kill and, and give better give better value to your clients and not overcharge them because you're, you know, you're in a public company and they, they can charge someone 500000 for a $200,000 website. They will do that. Chameleon doesn't do that because the, the, everybody's a contractor and gets to work. So I have built out with a few other folks on the team, the cannabis program, 
and I work with cannabis, particularly cannabis compliance because of, because of the background with Easy Green. I work with different clients. One client that I'm on their advisory board for is ACS Laboratory. They're based in Florida. They do hemp testing in about over 1,700 clients nationwide, and they do over 50% of all the cannabis testing for the MMTC licenses in the state of Florida. Uh, so it's a great company and they've helped me look at compliance from a different perspective. So now not only am I looking at the software and data security components, but I'm also focused on the safety of the products and ensuring that a consumer walks into any retail in the country, picks up a product, scans it with their smartphone and gets to look at a, a certificate of analysis of the potency so that they're buying what they think and also a full panel of safety that they're not taking anything in there that could include residual solvents or metals or pesticides that might not be good for their body. And that's the future of, of, of compliance is, is giving so much information automated that any consumer recreational medical in the US has the ability to be educated before they walk in and then and then verify, verify the safety of the product before they make the purchase. So I'm not relying on the dispensaries because they provide that, they tend to provide that information, but I'm not relying on them. You're telling me there's a way to get like the official government, you called it a certificate of analysis. Correct. So is that is that in place now or is that like your, it is. your dream? Oh, wow. Okay. It is. And the public doesn't understand that again, because there, so there are. Don't so say the public. I don't understand. <laughs> All right. So there are. So what I call recreationable. Uh, so cannabis tourists, cannabis tourists fly somewhere that is cannabis recreational, get on, you know, they sign up for a program, they get picked up, they go on a bus because they want the experience and they go somewhere and like, well, I don't know what I want. So tell me what's going to make me feel whatever and what are my options? But what, what, what we're learning is when we're going to be able to do is educate everybody because every state requires every single cannabis product over 0.3% THC to have a third party state approved lab test showing you that it's safe before you buy it and before you put it in your body. It's called the COA. And what the forward thinking brands are doing is they put a QR code on the finished package good so that the consumer can scan it. And because every state requires track and trace, then this QR code will show you the COA and then the, the metric in, in the states where it's metric, the track and trace will be able to track it back to the batch and lot number of the flower or the clone that that cannabis product came from. And that is a beautiful thing. And as people understand that, which we can do that by giving the marketing and advertising on websites, people are gonna be, are gonna know what they want before they walk in and not just be solicited what the brands are selling spiffs to the salespeople for, because really that's what it is. Salespeople are sales. I'm a salesperson. And if somebody tells me I'm going to give you 10% if you push this product today, I'm going to push it. That's the, that's the way it works. That's the psychology of sales. Mm -hmm. So we want to educate everybody before they go in and say, are you suffering from anxiety? Are you unable to sleep? Do you have pain? Do you have inflammation? Do you actually have a medical condition? And are their products better suited through genetics and terpenes to help you with whatever it is you're trying to mitigate in your, you know, in your health profile? And that's where this is, that's, that's where this is going. So it's really exciting and it's a beautiful thing. Just a lot of people don't know that COAs are out there, what their use is and how to access them. That's cool. Um, you know, so what's, you know, what does the future look like for Easy Green, you know, in terms of you know, building out your platform, um, you know, what's your vision for the future? 
So Easy Green as a platform, we are a responsible vendor in the space. We're looking for, well, we integrate now with some digital platforms, some, some digital menus. We, we integrate with a great delivery company. Um, we want, we, we want to see the industry grow in a good way and a safe and compliant way. So through integrations with API, through our experience in the, uh, in the pharmaceutical industry, we're hoping to work with other players in the space. And when data breaches occur, we're going to be very relevant because people are not going to want to, you know, incur any extra fees because it's very hard. It's very, you have to have great accounting to maintain a cannabis license and people don't understand the taxes incurred and the liabilities with that, with those licenses in your personal life, when you can't get a bank account because you're targeted by, by your bank, when they find out you touch plant. So we know it's a slow rolling game. It's painful. It's okay. We're, we're, we're in it for the, for the you know the good of the industry and we integrate with other platforms and we want to work with other platforms out there that are looking for a compliant point of sale so b2b i'm happy to talk commiserate with anybody out there i give them my sops there's nothing to hide it's just about getting responsible players in the space and uh you know really excited about where it's going and i i hope to be i plan to be involved in this for the next 20 years that's great well, thanks. Yeah. Well, then we'll have you back on the show because you're going to be around for a long time. I know you can always reach out. Um, so we're, we've been talking to Mike Connor, uh, president and founder of Easy Green Compliance. Um, to learn more, uh, believe it or not, they have a website, www.easygreen, that's E-Z, the letters, easygreencompliance, all one word, dot com. Um, Mike, thank you uh, very much uh, for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Yeah, hey, thanks, my Mike. pleasure. Thanks so much. And Matt, great to meet you. Have a great day, guys. The Business of Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. So welcome back to the business of cannabis. We're pretty excited about our next guest. I'd like to welcome Neil Klassen to the show uh, from Seven Points Interior. Uh, Neil has a lot of experience, an interesting background, like so many people in this industry, was actually in the art and antique world, uh, uh, developing displays and cabinet, uh, cabinetry and so on. Um, and then uh, hooked up with a company called Visual Elements, which uh, built the interiors of retail stores and there was a marriage there and a, it sounded like some inspiration and they realized there was an opportunity in cannabis to provide uh, design skills and design vision for dispensaries from small, medium to large. So Neil, welcome to the show. Well, uh, thank you for having me, David, and thank you for having me, Matt. I'm delighted to be here. Well, why don't we start with that first things? How, how did you Take us through the journey of I'm I'm in the antique world, 
to all of a sudden I'm on the business of cannabis. <laughs> How does that work? Yeah, that's uh, it's actually a remarkably seamless journey. So uh, with the my parents are antique dealers. And it was actually my dad that started a glass cabinet business because we needed glass cabinets for um, both the antique dealers and museums and everything. So that's what we started doing, um, mostly museum work. And then as our company got a little bit bigger, we started to make a lot of um, displays for retail stores, like jewelry stores, especially, uh, as you can imagine, you know, lots of glass cabinets in, in jewelry sure. stores. Yeah. And then... Um, Again, as we grew, I tried to, um, you know, rather than using a marketing budget, I started North America's largest student retail design competition um, in our industry. And that got us famous. And then we ended up working with Visual Elements on a particular project. And one day Visual Elements just bought us, <laughs> which I'm <laughs> delighted about because it allowed it allowed us to do so much more. Visual Elements is it's a big company. They've done, um, like I said, Louis Vuitton and all kinds of really really wonderful brands so rather than just making glass cabinets all of a sudden we could do everything um, and then in that work around that time we were approached by cannabis culture and that was doing illegal stores now it was far more difficult to work for the illegal side of the business or we call it the gray market it's so funny we won't even call it the black market <laughs> well, it the well market. illicit yeah, yeah. maybe illicit yeah <laughs> so the um those stores the problem with them of course is that they were getting raided every two months so they needed to completely rebuild a store every two months so the Definitely their needs were um, as inexpensive as possible because you're going to lose it again. Right. Cardboard box. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But um, but those guys did make a ton of money. And once you got to look at the business and then you saw legalization on the horizon, uh, we simply went, wait a minute, this is going to be real. And we're one of the only companies of our size in the store building and designing industry that's caught on to cannabis early and that allowed us to get into many of the big brands not only in canada but also in the u.s in the u.s we built cresco and we built cureleaf um, those are a couple of heavyweights mm -hmm. so neil what are some of the key issues uh, facing dispensaries from a design perspective so from a design perspective it's it's remarkably similar to all other retail, right? There's a path to purchase. When, when somebody walks into a store, you have to understand how a client um, gets through the front door and then actually has to um, find a product that they want, um, which in this case, in cannabis, it's a high, right? You're selling a high and they have to find that correct high. So they need an interaction. And um, that's fairly similar to all other retail. I'd say the main difference um, well, besides, obviously, you've got age gating, which happens in these stores. That doesn't happen in every store. Um, there are different rules in different jurisdictions about what you can see from outside the store into the store. So a lot of people mm -hmm. have to block out windows and things like that, which is unfortunate because it makes it look like a porn store, which we typically don't want to do. But we've got tricks around that. The, um, but I'd say the major challenge um, which is different from any other retail business is that because you need to have a lease so to get a license so a retail operator's license um, it means that 
would-be retailers are already paying rents before any of the other work is done. So the rush right. to get finished and get the doors open, um, everything gets gets squashed into this very tight time frame. So um, I would say timelines are the most, you know, just it's it's nuts and bolts, but you got to move quickly, but you still need a plan, right? You you need to somehow be true to your brand. Um, and again, very much like all other retail, you're, as a, as a cannabis retailer, at the end of the day, what you need to accomplish is that you need to develop a loyal local clientele. That's an absolute must, right? If you mm -hmm. don't, then, well, you, you essentially fail at the retail game. So then now you have to think, well, how do you get that? You know, a lot of people think that, you know, I'm just going to build in, by the way, that's the biggest lie that's ever been told, uh, build it and they will come. And they will it come. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right? You, you kind of need to figure it out. Um, yeah. And let's say David was opening up a retail store. Um, from a design perspective, first of all, what we try to figure out then is, well, who is David and what does David stand for? <laughs> and, you know, I, I have to figure that out. Okay. I need a, I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Maybe but 30 seconds, I'll figure it out. But it's so important, right? Because most of the time, if you've got a store that you love, that you keep going back to, it is because of the ownership, right? The, the store has to, right. has to be a representation of the ownership. And that's, that's a tricky business. So let me, so let's, let me ask you, okay, so David, I'm, I'm going to start, take me as a case study. I, and, and, and I approach you, let's say my vision is I want to, I want to just open a dispensary one in mm -hmm. my local, wherever I'm living. Um, take me through that process. What is it that we need to decide beforehand so that, this timeline is is as fast as possible. So I come in, um, make these decisions. What are those issues? And then let's do it for no. I want to grow it to uh, fifty. I want to be or, or no. I want to be a national player. Take us through those three. Okay, purposes. so um, that would be yeah. What you need to do right at the front end is actually the same. So whether you build one store or whether you build a hundred stores you need to understand what your concept is. So you need a store concept and a, it's jargon, but a store concept basically means what does it all look like? What are, and it kind of starts with branding. So, and branding is a lot more than, than a logo, you know, but logos are important. So you need, because um, if I take it one step backwards, if you're in the restaurant industry, you don't want to be a keg restaurant with a McDonald's logo or vice versa. You don't want to be a McDonald's restaurant with a keg logo. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any sense. Right. So your logo and your branding and what you're all about is really, really key. Um, so we'll actually ask you a million questions. So when you get a design team working for you, they're really trying to figure out who you are. Um, part of the ways to do that. So we're going to ask David to collect a whole bunch of pictures, images of things that David likes. And it doesn't necessarily have to be other cannabis stores or restaurants or anything, but it can be all of those, right? But you can even have um, a picture of you camping, right? So some lifestyle things that if we understand what you're trying to do. So if you're a single store and let's say you're 
you're sort of off the beaten path, then more than likely that whole camping idea of being outdoors is important to your brand. And we're going to want to play that. Or you might have something where you go after a particular target market and David goes, well, I want to go after people from my own generation. So, or slightly older. And there's people who do that. And then, you know, you might even take a movie theme like Easy Rider and go, this is what inspires me, right? This is the story I want to tell. And we would simply incorporate that into the design. So then we, um, where we go next is then we start putting material palettes together. So if we, we need a color palette to tell your story. Um, and with the color palette become, comes um, materials that we're going to choose. Now, this is getting fairly key before we actually go there we we need to sort of understand what your budget is so you know right. are you big budget are you small yeah. budget meaning if you're small budget um and you're you start saying i really like these gold finishes then we're probably going to talk you out of it <laughs> so right. um, i'm a super high-end store i want to attract big money people but i have a thousand dollars it's like yeah, yeah then we're going to say you're on the wrong you might want to rethink your concept. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the line that we use for that is, um, if you have a beer budget, you can't be doing champagne taste. Sure. <laughs> so right. They don't work. So part of this is strategy, right? But this is why, this is why a, a design is so important. Um, the best way to describe a physical design is it's, um, it's the visual representation of your business plan. And it's key. You must have it. Right. Otherwise, you're flying blind. I mean, sure, you could do, you know, you can put together a store by yourself, um, much like you'll see a gift shop some somewhere. Right. You know, it's not being designed. Or you know, it's not being thought of. But this is cannabis. Right. Gift stores are there's a certain part to it. We're here to make money. So you need to outperform all the other stores and mm -hmm. don't kid yourself. It doesn't matter where you are, like um, you're in a real great spot if you're sort of the one store that's operating alone in a particular geographical area. Well, I don't know if you've driven around Queen Street, Toronto, but being the only store in a particular geographical area is highly unlikely, right? right you're in California right. and LA, guess what? There's probably in 20 meters another, another. It, exactly, so it's, it's yeah. hyper competitive. And yeah. you, so what, what can a dispensary do to kind of really differentiate itself then from a design perspective? So a lot. I mean, but it could be that you're, you're a crusader and you believe, you simply believe in cannabis and all the, and all the things that, that it can stand for. And you believe in CBD products and THC products and all those kind of things. If that's you, Right. Then we want to tell mm -hmm. that story and we want to make sure that that comes across because somebody will make a decision to come and see you over somebody else. And this is really what we get to. So it's the differentiation. What what is it that David's all about or is David about the lifestyle? Is he super chill or is he super creative and that kind of thing? So um, hmm. rather than, you know, you see stores just opening up and they have absolutely no <laughs> no brand at all right it's just right. No, it's a it's a counter and you know you go onto your ipad and we'll get it from the back room um quite frankly those are the stores that are going to fail first right so, and i uh i want to track mainstream i want to make you comfortable 
I you know, or no, I want this to be flashy and fun and exciting, or no, I want this to be local, like like you said, uh, uh, it's an urban yeah. setting, it's a small town setting, it's something in between. And if if you yeah, want to be local, the local play is a good play, right? So right. Um, I'm going to use an example of um, Hespler Vill Village Cannabis, which we just um, designed, and they're in Cambridge, Ontario. Um, but Hespeler Village is the old village. So what we did is we took a lot of old photographs of old Cambridge and hmm. incorporated that into the whole setup of the store. So it's a tip of the hat to the old town. And that's right. going to attract local clientele who believe in that, who believe in community, right? So they'll, they'll go to his store rather than one of the big chains, right? Because it's just you support your local community. Because that That's kind of person, right. Go, right. Yeah, exactly. So the other thing you have to understand is that you'll make 80% of your money on 20% of your clients, right? So, and this Usual, is true, right? It's the, yeah, it's the 20 up. that keep going yeah. back to you. Well, what your job is to make those 20% extremely happy. And I, the other, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you an unfair question because you might not know it, but I'm just curious from the retail game, uh, some stores attract, you know, you can say a restaurant, you can draw a circle or one kilometer. And if they can't walk to your restaurant, not that's a, is there, are there rules like that for cannabis? Do people drive to dispensaries? Are they really hyper local? So I'm not driving 20 minutes to your dispensary. I will drive uh, three minutes or I'll walk or I'll jump on my bike. Do you know like what the, Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, there's so, so it's a good it question. <laughs> so it's a great question. I mean, this is part of so they may they may drive to your store, right? So or not. It depends on what model you are. If you're a convenience model, then you don't really care because nobody's going to drive to your store. Mm -hmm. um, but you can actually set yourself up. If you have the largest selection, right? around people may go simply because you have the largest selection of products and that's something that's important to you right so then it's about the SKUs that you have so people will travel for a store that has 300 SKUs they will not travel to a store that has 50 SKUs right it's just it's as simple as that now if you want to be that destination it's going to cost you a little bit more money right so think about think about liquor stores Right. So you can go to the local liquor store and they've got a small selection, but sometimes you go to a really, really big liquor store that has a great vintage section. Why? Because you want to buy something special. Right. So, you know, you know, you need to go to a mm -hmm. different store. This is all part of your strategy. So it's right. a very strategic business. But yeah, as soon as you start talking alcohol, people seem to understand all these nuances. Right. Because we do it and we realize that we're actually as as customers, we sometimes people go, well, there's the, you know, there's the convenience customer and there's the and there's the customer that needs education. Well, guess what? We're we're both those customers, right? Most of the time we'll go and buy what we already know. We'll have a we'll have a particular item that we like. That's our go-to in, you know, sure. in, in alcohol. It's our it's our favorite beer. We buy it over and over again. We don't right. really have to think about it. Or your drinkers in wine. Right. But you might have people coming over and <laughs> you might go tonight. We're going to we're going to pair our wines. We're going to have a really good bottle. Well, so it is with cannabis. Right? People will people will actually think about different products 
depending on what the social setting is, what what they're going to use the product in. So or, keep going with the con. You said I come in with the concept. Yeah. Keep finish that journey. Just so just so now we right? so now we've got that. So now I we have go my back to, my yeah. I have my concept, so, my brand. And now we know many, sort yeah. of. Yeah, now we sort of understand where you're where you're operating, and we we choose in a direction of where to go, right? So now we start. Uh, there's two approaches now. So either we can we can design from scratch, which takes a little bit longer. So designing from scratch means that every table, every fixture, your cash desk, your wall fixtures, they're all designed just for you. So if you think of a spirit leaf, and I'm going to use them as an example, every fixture in that store is designed just for spirit leaf and we don't build them for anybody else right we mm. don't repeat it um and we might design that for david or if david's saying well i'm just going to do one store what we'll do is we'll take we'll take pre-engineered fixtures that we've done most of the work on already and this is much like an ikea kitchen right we can clad it and make it look completely unique to you but um, if you go to Ikea for, um, to get an Ikea kitchen and you want to get the Lazy Susan corner cabinet, they don't redesign a Lazy Susan corner cabinet just for you, right? They pick it right. and then you just clad it with whatever and whatever the countertop is. And so we do this very much the same thing. We, we might pick different materials, but the sizing, the, the way everything fits together, that, that we've already got worked out. So we can now we can say do a design like that in about six weeks and then we produce in another eight weeks you're up and running in 14 weeks so the your time your budget all of those things we need to know at the front end and then we can strategize about how are we going to approach this right if you are going to be a brand of um or a franchise operation right if that's what we want then we should probably design from scratch but it takes a lot longer I mean, the, the design process itself takes about 16 to 20 weeks at that point. And I assume wow. expansion's easier. Like if you're Starbucks, you're not recreating the wheel once you've, but the wheel takes a long time. The wheel takes a long time, but once that's figured, so very much like Starbucks, and uh, I shouldn't give too many secrets away, but for some of the bigger players, what we do is we we kind of know in any given square footage, let's say we they average 15 um, 1500 square feet, right? For retail space, they will know roughly, you know, how big the cash desk is going to be, how many point of sale stations there are, that kind of thing. And we actually build ahead, usually about 10 stores on average, right? And then we warehouse yeah. it. So now when you're rolling out, now it's very quick because it's ready to go. Yeah. It's, it's ready to go. All they do is space plan. There's usually a couple of design features in each store that speak to the local area. That's how a a larger chain would work, um, but most of the Lego bricks are in place, and we just we just ship them and set them up. Hmm. So, uh, you know, I guess on that note, um, so that's if you do it right, right, and you take the time. <laughs> and that's <laughs> and, the only way we'll and do that. It. Always happens. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, what are some of the biggest mistakes um, that people make? Uh, from a design perspective uh, when opening, you know, either a single local location or multiple locations. So I think one of the big mistakes that people make is that they um, don't design it right. So that, it's really the bigger thing. So um, 
and there have to be renderings of of the actual design meaning so a rendering means if it's a computer generated photorealistic image or set of images that allow you to walk through the store before we ever build it so if you decide in that in that walkthrough of of the renderings that certain things don't work right but you can already see it so you change it on paper before you change it in the store itself so that's why i would say you know should we get questions from clients going really do i have to go through the rendering process we're only doing one and it's it's a lot cheaper to make your mistakes on paper so right. if your if your design fee is let's say 10 grand um but your store build out is 60 grand i'd rather make my my mistakes with 10 grand that i can actually fix and it, and it probably wouldn't so changes are allowed to be done in the design process right this is mm -hmm. not you're not stuck with it when you buy a, a design it's like well i didn't really like it well if you didn't like it we're not building it <laughs> you know we're, we're not going to start building till you really love it it has to speak to you so that's i would say that's simply one of the biggest and the other thing is people having a strange or simply being uneducated where, where they come to you and they go, okay, build me a store. <laughs> it's like, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> and, but it's, but these are things that we know because we're retail people and we expect people to notice in cannabis, but a lot of people that are going into cannabis retail have never done retail before. Right? That was so going to be my right. question. Like I think yeah. a lot of times, like, okay, you're dealing with big, sophisticated, experienced people. That's one type of conversation. And then there's another conversation, and particularly in cannabis, with people who don't have that experience. They may have very strong opinions. Yeah. And then you have to try to get them out of those opinions, I'm imagining. That happens or, or that very quickly. Happen. No, oh, okay. Usually we, we go through a process of where we show, we'll actually show other designs, right? So we'll show you a ton of designs of other clients. Now, we don't send them to you. Um, but we can we can usually show them via Zoom call or something like that. Once people sort see, see visually the process, they're usually mm -hmm. on board very quickly. And <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, that's what I want to do, right? But before that conversation, you simply didn't know. Um, but the other, I'd say one of the other biggest mistakes is just not understanding that, yes, there are people that want to have an express um experience so they want to get into your store they want to they want to buy fast and get out um you need to know that that's done in the right place in the store if you stick it in the wrong place then people don't really find that express experience very satisfying right so you have to deliver on that the other thing that i think is a massive thing is people don't understand the products themselves so you know, if you don't have really good butt tenders that can have a meaningful conversation with your clients, then you're not going to do very well, right? Because if you're the soccer mom around the corner who's coming in going, well, I don't really know about this stuff. Well, that's a, you know, you're going to have to spend time with them. The nice thing about having people like that is that once you do get them the right experience right you don't you know you don't send them out with the highest thc product <laughs> for the lowest cost because you right. think that's what everybody wants no if they if they have a really bad high they're not going to come back to your store but if you nail it and if they have a wonderful experience and you you're 
getting them in there and you're educating them, those are the clients that are that 20% that come back and will be 80% of your income. I'm getting it. Like you want an apple. Like if you need, if you need to educate people, you need to design a store where that's viable as opposed to I'm behind a counter and it feels very antiseptic and, and pharmaceutical that might, you know, on the other hand, you might want that. So I don't think yeah, so. I don't know. I don't like, know so. it, but you might want something neat and clean and quick and it's yeah. high volume and in and out. And you don't want people coming in going, well, I've never been in here before. It's like, I don't want that customer. Right. And like, they need to come to, to you up front and tell you that. So, so at this time in the industry, when the industry is still new, by and large, I would say, um, be everything to everyone. And that's oh, okay. tough. Right. Yeah. So you need to you need to have a brand that pretty much everybody can go in. And Starbucks is a good example. Right. Starbucks. Good for everyone. Just about everyone. Um, but people who don't go to Starbucks go to Tim Hortons. But there's another brand. There's your Tim Hortons. Right. We all know they, they sell sort of the same thing, but they're completely different brands um, with with cannabis right now. I'd sort of say you want to be everything to everyone. Except if you're in a place where you're, where there's tons of stores. So um, we did a wonderful store on Young Street called Puffs Haven. I'd say within a kilometer radius of where they are, they probably have another 30 stores. It's insane. It is such wow. um, a busy, busy spot. However, um, his approach was to go completely cigar store and go completely high end, which I would say do not differentiate in your clientele unless you're next to a gazillion other stores. If you're next to a ton of other stores, then that's exactly what you want to do. So now mm-hmm. you walk into a Puff's Haven and it's it's very much a high end. It's dark, right? It's not it's not bright at all. It's not like the Apple store, right? It's not. Right. It's like a it's a cigar experience. There's lots of sniff jars. They put really, really good products on display where you can where you can do these things. And I would say most stores, if you're trying to be everything to everyone, you'd probably still want a few really high-end sniff jars so that if you do get this new product in that's really good and that you think might be good for a particular client, how nice is it is it for David to go to, you know, when Matt's walking into the store, go, hey Matt, we just got this in this in. Come and smell it. Come and try it. I think you should try some of this. Chances are, if Matt has a relationship with David, Matt's going to buy that product. And if it speaks to him, he'll buy it. And maybe next month, there's something else in the sniff jar, right? So these are little things that you do to, to make these um, relationships with your clientele. Well, wow. So much to think about. Um mm-hmm. We are going to have to have you back on because I think we're just getting the conversation started. And of course, we're out of time. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, thank you very much, Neil. Neil's with Seven Points Interior. If you uh, either have a store or thinking of opening up a a dispensary, uh, wow, I I would encourage you to to make that call because it sounds like much of the work has to be done up front. Uh, It's sort of pay me now or pay me later. Because at some point, if you want to be successful, this is the work you have to do. Absolutely. Sounds like it. Anyway, thanks very much. Thanks, Neil. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. The Business of Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products. 
North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, CashTech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call CashTech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. that's our show for today um thanks to mike connor from easy green appliance and neil classen at seven points interior i i thought um mike made some interesting interesting points about what never thought about about hipaa compliance for the medicinal side and certainly even data security for any for any cannabis business yeah it's it's one of the things i i don't think you really um think about when you're getting into this business until, um, you know, it, it hits you in the face when you've got an, an issue. And uh, I think he brought up some really good points and things to really consider for uh, dispensary owners and anyone really in the, uh, in the business. That, it's like that uh, phone call, you know, hey, uh, yeah. by the way, there's been a breach. Yeah. Right? Oh, okay. And you no one lose, ever yeah. thinks of data. No one ever thinks of data as, um, you know, as something of value and something that needs to be protected. Um, but, you know, in, in this business, especially, uh, it's incredibly important. And sensitive, uh, obviously, Very. self-evidently on the medicinal side. So something to consider. And, and uh, Neil, um, you know, when I th- as he was talking, I think about, you know, it just boils down to who your customer is. You know, it's, it's, yeah, you can design a mm-hmm. store any way you want, but so what? You have to start with the first, the first issue and the only issue is who, who are you trying to sell to? Exactly. And I mean, my entire career I've, I've spent uh, trying to figure that out is who are we selling to uh, and how do we cater to them? What's the right messaging? What's the, uh, what, what is the product or service that they actually want to buy? Um, as opposed to trying to fit a, uh, a square peg in a round hole. Um, let's try to identify who our ideal customer is. Uh, and that's really important in this, in this industry. It's a bit of a challenge because given the way the cannabis industry is structured, you have to sort of do your store first. <laughs> you have to yeah, think maybe for some of the larger chains, uh, but that's part of the evolution of this industry. Even if you're a large a large player, you pretty well did it without much data or information. So I imagine yeah, and, there's going to be some major changes over the next. Well, and, know, and the people that years. leverage data over the next kind of three to five years are going to have a huge competitive advantage over the people that don't. So this is one of the things that I think, um, you know, similar to, you know, FDA trials, things like that. As we get more and more information about uh, usage and uh, effects and benefits, um, you know, the more information you have, uh, the, the better off you're going to be as a business. So the business of cannabis has been brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products. Uh, Cash Tech Currency Products uh, track, manage, and secures your physical cash at the cannabis dispensary, go to www.cashtechcurrency.com 
for more information. So that's a, uh, another episode. Uh, join us next week uh, where we will have a more uh, insightful um, you know, guest that will help educate you and, and run your cannabis business uh, better. Thanks for joining us. And this has been The Business of Cannabis. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.